Folks, page 950 in the Church Bibles, Malachi chapter 3. Thank you, folk, for attending over the summer series this year and I do hope that some of the dust that might have accumulated on this little Old Testament book has been uh, moved on and we have a clearer understanding of its purpose and its message. I particularly want to thank Steve and Andrew and Paul for their technical help. Notes for studies one and two are on the seat on this side. Today's notes are on that side on the front seat. (coughs) Ernest Shackleton led an expedition in 1914 to cross the Antarctic continent on foot. He failed. And having returned and found his ship crushed by ice as winter approached, he left 22 men of his team in a makeshift camp on the edge of Elephant Island. He took with him five others and in a small but sturdy boat they set out to row to South Georgia Island 1,300 kilometres to the north. He intended to seek help from a whaling station that had been established there. The 22 men left on Elephant Island were under the care of Frank Wild and he had the task of trying to maintain the morale of the men in the faint hope that Shackleton who was known among them as the boss would one day return and rescue them. Frank Wilde was a remarkable person. He never lost hope. Whenever the sea appeared clear enough as winter began to recede for a ship to approach he would say to the men with him, men let's pack up the gear, the boss may come today. Many times they had to unpack again. But after four and a half months they looked out one morning and there on the horizon was a ship. The boss had returned and all the men were taken safely home to England. Three questions are raised in the book of Malachi. The first was, where was God? You see, these people were discouraged and disappointed and had lost their faith. Where was God? Answer, right there in Jerusalem where they were. The second question was, what kind of God was he? Answer, he was the unchanging God who still loved his people, who still spoke to his people, who still remembered the covenants he'd made with his people and who still reigned in the world despite his people's failures. Today we look at the third question raised in the book. What will God do in circumstances like that? God's plan remained. 
the same as it had always been. He would send the Messiah to save and deliver his people. Now in our structure outline we said that the book had four main sections and today's section begins at chapter 2 verse 17 and it continues through to the end of the book. It is about the coming of the Lord, the promised Messiah and this reading itself divides into four separate parts. Now the first one is just one verse, chapter 2 and verse 17. Page 950 in your church Bibles and this is what it says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. Or... Where is the God of justice? We've called this section God's ways had been misunderstood. Now that's one of the dangers when faith grows weak. And in this verse we come to another case of that statement response style of writing which Malachi used to gain the attention of these rather disinterested people. You have wearied the Lord with your words. That's the statement. Then comes the response as a question. Oh, how have we wearied him, you ask? And God gave his answer by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he's pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? Now in the light of Malachi's introduction, what the people said was absolute nonsense. God had not changed. He would never accept those who did evil as being good. And where was the God of justice? Right there with them, if only they knew it. Now how did these people get things so confused? They assessed God according to their own understanding. To them... What they did was right and what others did was wrong and God seemed to give the blessings to the wrongdoers. To them, God's justice was questionable. Weren't they his people? Now their discouragement led finally to disbelief. That's the danger. And then they began making judgments about God on the basis of their own understanding of things. You see, the people misunderstood God's ways because their own understanding was faulty. But now had that changed God's plans for them? And we come to the second section of our reading this morning, chapter 3, first five verses. Have a look at it in your Bible. Chapter 3, verse 1. God is speaking. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure 
the day of his coming. Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They were the priests that we were talking about last week. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. God reminded these people that he would send his messenger to prepare the way for the Messiah to come the one who had been spoken of by the earlier prophets. He was the one they were actually longing for because he was going to put all things right. There was all, that was always and still remains today God's purpose. The Lord will come. But there's another side to this story. What they were told then in verses 2 to 5 of that reading may well have started to take their breath away. The coming of the Messiah would not necessarily be in the way that they were thinking of. You see, he says, will anybody be able to endure that day? When it happened, would anybody be left standing? Because this promised one would come like a consuming fire to burn up all the useless waste and like a powerful detergent to clean away the most persistent grime. Burning rubbish and cleaning grime were graphic metaphors for what this Messiah would do. And having cleansed his people from evil in verses 3 and 4, something interesting would happen. They would bring offerings in righteousness. They would bring acceptable offerings in the right way and their offerings will be accepted. Now that had not been happening in Malachi's day. So verse 5 reminds them I will come near to you for judgment. And it is the Lord Almighty who will confront a rather ugly list of people. Sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, defrauders, oppressors and deprivers. Now when you think about what those people do, they are the ones who follow their own ways to try and gain their own ends. And there were those among God's people who'd become like that. So this was a strong word of Malachi. Remember this is called an oracle which means this is a heavy burden. This is a tough assignment for Malachi to bring this heavy word to people who were in danger. 
the happy prospect of the Lord's coming to restore Israel's greatness now had a rather disturbing side to it. Now we've noted that God's plan may not have developed the way that they were thinking of. You see, the messenger who was going to prepare the way didn't appear on the scene for another 400 years and after the people had been through a whole lot more difficult times. And when Jesus did come at Bethlehem, not all the events mentioned by the prophets actually happened at that time. Even today there's not peace on earth. Evil seems to be winning and nations do not worship God. From the New Testament we learn something that even the prophets may not have understood clearly at the time. The coming of the Lord was actually a two-stage event with a long period between the two stages. God's view of time is so different from ours but it does not alter the truth. The promised Lord will come. Now we move on to the third section. God's covenant demands remained unchanged. Chapter 3 verse 6 I the Lord do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines from dropping their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, oh, what have we said against you? You have said it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I'll spare them. 
just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. God's covenant demands remained unchanged. This section begins with some key statements. Number one, I the Lord do not change. When you think about that, you think, well, how stupid it was of the people to ever think that they could adapt God's requirements to suit their own ends. God had a definite plan for the world and its people and as the covenants put it, all who obeyed and followed his ways would be blessed. But verse 7 indicates that this is exactly what these people did not do. There follows in the same verse another example of Malachi's statement response style of writing. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Well, that's great, but how? How are we to return? Now, actually, this was a vital statement. It's almost a key in the book. Those whose faith in God had failed now know that they can return to God. The failure of their faith did not need to be final. It was true for them. It remains true for us. But how do they return was an important issue. In verse 8, the Lord took them back to the matter of the offerings. The problem that was mentioned in chapter 1. Animals with defects were unacceptable as offerings because they detracted from the perfect sacrifice which was to come when the Lord came. Jesus, the Lamb of God, as we've been remembering this morning. The animals they offered for sacrifice were of the wrong kind and both the people and the priests acted with self-centred motives. They tried to please themselves. Now such disobedience put the people under a covenant curse, as we read. And if they were to return to God, then that disobedience had to be replaced by obedience. They had to face up to their failures and correct them. That's the way we return to God. But there was something else they needed to consider. Verse 13 now. God mentioned another problem that had occurred earlier in the book and here we find Malachi's last use of his statement response literary style. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? And then God told them very straight. He said, you have said it was futile to serve God. The arrogant people are blessed evildoers prosper and those who challenge God get away with it. Now that was very much like chapter 2 verse 17 that we started with today. You've wearied God with your words. All these statements were untrue and it mattered to God what was said about him 
and their wrong statements had to be acknowledged and corrected. Now what would happen if they put those things right? Oh, back in verse 10, God in effect says, well now listen, you give it a go and see. See what happens. And in verse 11 he says to them, look there'll be so much blessing, you won't know what to do with it. Their tithes would ensure adequate funds for the temple operations. Their offerings would ensure there was adequate food for the priests. Their acceptable sacrifices would bring them forgiveness. In verse 11, obedience would ensure the protection of their food crops from pests and diseases. In fact, theirs would be a delightful land. The curses they had endured would give way to blessings. Now it is true that God's revelation to us in his covenants develops with time. For example, the old covenant gave way to the new covenant with the coming of the Messiah. But the essential principles remain the same. We live under the new covenant. Yet it remains true. All those who trust and obey him are blessed. Those who disobey hit the curses. We also live in that long interval between the two stages of the coming. The first coming of Jesus as Saviour and his second coming as Jesus the King when all that the prophets foretold will be brought to magnificent reality. But chapter 3 ends on a difficult note. There's a starkly described contrast here. This had happened on other occasions in history but it will happen again at the final coming of the Lord. There will be seen the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. There's a basic principle of life here. As for Jacob and Esau, so for every person, the outcome depends on the decision we make. And there's a vast difference between the outcomes. We move on to our last section this morning. Chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes 
He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The phrase the day of the Lord actually occurs in scripture about 20 times. Sometimes it's in the Old Testament prophets, the other times it's in the epistles in the New Testament. Now it can mean any day when God intervened in human history in a special way. It was a day of the Lord when he delivered his people from the Egyptians. It was a day of the Lord when Jesus came and lived among us. But there is one day above all days when God will step again into history in a most dramatic way. And chapter 4 opens with those words, surely the day is coming. Now sometimes we use the word surely to refer to something we sort of hope might happen. If you're a daily traveller into the city and you're sick of the public transport system, you must, oh surely today the train will be on time. (laughs) Ah, but in scripture it always speaks of something with absolute certainty. It is absolutely sure that this day of the Lord will come. Now because of the situation God's people were in in Malachi's day, his emphasis in this book is actually on the judgment side of that day rather than the blessing side of that day. And actually God says, because I'm the unchanging God, that is actually to your benefit. You can rely on what I say. I'm the faithful one. And he is telling his people, please be careful, you are in danger of something awful. Because the Lord's people were in danger, so Malachi gives the emphasis on the judgment side. Now in 4.1, the day of the Lord will be a day of fire. And as we well know from recent times, that can bring death and destruction. The dreadful truth in this verse is that it's people who will be destroyed. Now we actually have to look in other parts of scripture to get the details but the scene is one of fierce heat leaving blackness and death. But that's not the end of the story. You see there's a contrasting scene in verse 2. But for you who revere my name the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Now we associate the sun with light and life and energy and vitality. So we have these two radically different images which actually portray the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The two groups mentioned at the end of chapter 3. Actually this has been a little book of contrasts. Covenants were sometimes kept and sometimes broken. 
God could be depended upon but his people failed. There were some who were righteous, there were others who were wicked. There were some who were like Jacob and said, I will follow God, while others like Esau said, I will not. Now, now what is it that produces these contrasts, these opposites? And verse 4 of chapter 4 is a clue. Remember the law I gave Moses at Mount Sinai or Horeb for all Israel? You see, the kind of people they were and what happened to them was determined by the word God gave them through Moses. Now in our day, the kind of people we are and what happens to us depends not on our nationality or education or wealth or achievements but on the word God has given us. The day of the Lord will be a day of great contrast. Restoring his people to right relationship him was no easy matter for God. Malachi doesn't take time to expand on the joyous, thrilling and incredibly wonderful aspects of the Lord's coming. We have to wait for the New Testament for some of that. But he gave a more sombre portrayal of judgement and loss. Both are equally true and real. So in verse 5 of our reading... This was described as a day, a great and dreadful day. Now taking the positive meaning of the word great, the day will indeed be wonderful beyond what human minds can grasp. But it will also be dreadful beyond what human minds can imagine. Early in the book we saw how God's relationship with Jacob and Esau was determined by their response to the word he'd given them. Their choice determined whether the final outcome was great or dreadful. It is so for all of us. Our choice determines our eternal destiny. Now God indicated he'd send a messenger to prepare the way for this crucial day, someone like Elijah in lifestyle and ministry and the New Testament identifies John the Baptist as the one. Then Jesus himself spoke about his coming again to bring God's plan to its glorious completion. He kept reminding those who listened to him and then all who subsequently read his words to be ready for that day because it will come unexpectedly. God's covenants are important and have highly significant consequences. They are matters of life and death in the ultimate sense. The book closes on an interesting note. It talks about fathers and sons and sons and fathers. The importance of family life in the continuance of God's plan for the human race until that day. 
young ones with family, God bless you and encourage you and strengthen you to stand for what is right, true and good in a lost, bewildered world. The precarious situation of Shackleton's men on the Antarctic continent seemed absolutely hopeless and they had to wait so long. But Frank Wilde never gave up hope. Pack up the gear. The boss may come today. And he did. And they were ready. And they were all taken safely home. The Apostle Peter writing to folk in somewhat similar circumstances. Faith under attack. Said the day of the Lord will come and the elements will be destroyed by fire. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? Question. Answer. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Friends, I wonder if it's time for us to do something. Is our faith wandering, slipping? We get discouraged and disappointed about the whole thing. doesn't work out as we thought it might. But God is true. God still speaks. If we return to him, he returns to us. And the day is coming. Are we ready for the day? Now Paul, we'll just go on the couple more slides and here, here is somebody's testimony. Uh, this person lived a while ago but I want you to look at the verses of this hymn. The second one. And dear old Samuel Francis says, I'm waiting for the coming of the Lord who died for me. Isn't he dead? No. Raph reminds us, only do this until he comes again. How the words have thrilled my spirit, I will come again for you. I can almost hear his footfall on the threshold of the door and my heart, my heart is longing to be with him evermore. Are there tingles running up and down your spine? We're in a race. I don't know whether I'm going to see him through death first or whether he's going to come and get me. Actually, it doesn't matter. The end result is the same. But it's pretty exciting, isn't it? Were these people encouraged by Malachi's word? Some were. Because there's just a little verse in there that says what happens and God says, I know who they are. I've kept a record. And oh, the blessing will be for them. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are a communicating God, a speaking God. Despite all our failures, inadequacies, stupidities, you love us. And you are an unchanging God. As this was a message for people long ago in trouble with their faith. It's a message for us today. 
Jesus is coming. Oh, how those words thrill our being. If we need to do something, oh God, give us grace to do it now. So that when we look out one morning on the horizon, there's the ship. But we're ready. And you will take us safely home. May the unchanging God himself purify us through and through and may our spirits, souls and bodies be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls us is faithful and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.